Bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Cabaret. doing. I hope this episode of The Musical Man finds you well. Oh, brother. I totally forgot to watch the Fosse performance from the 1999 Tony Awards. Ah, yes, I, yes, yes, yes. I've since gone back to check it out, and yes, 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 yes. Hearing Benny Goodman's Sing, Sing, Sing all over again made me want to take a three-week vacation uh, that said, I will say, watching the routine via crisp, well-cut video footage came as a relief. The performance is, I should say, introduced by Julie Andrews and Carol Burnett, one of whom will reappear during this week's coverage. Oh, intriguing. In other news, I was flabbergasted to learn about Henry Danger the Musical? A musical episode of Henry Danger, which is a non-musical television series. I had never heard of this until this week. Our $3 a month Patreon series, TV VIP, uh, go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to check out that series. That series ended with a three-part ode, an ode to musical episodes of non-musical TV shows, yet this one never showed up on my radar during all of my research. I'm incensed. Oh, well, <laughs> I'm here with Patty and Betty, of course, and we are so pleased to bring you the show facts regarding this week's subject, Cabaret. If you're saying to yourself, if you're thinking to yourself, eh, show me the show facts already, I say to you, all right, let's get to it, let's do it. Cabaret was the 1967 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on November 20th, 1966 at the Broadhurst Theater before moving to the Imperial Theater in March of 1967 and the Broadway Theater in October of 1968. The show ran for a total of 1,165 performances, making it the 
97th, yes, the 97th longest running production in Broadway history as of this recording. Cabaret actually shares that slot with Memphis, with once resting just above at number 96, 1,168 performances, and the Thomas Hagen Joshua Logan play, Mr. Roberts, hanging out at good old number 99. That's 1,157 performances. The Book of Cabaret was written by Joe Masterhoff, the music was written by John Kander, and the lyrics were written by Fred Ebb. Today's subject is based on the 1951 John Van Druten play, I Am a Camera, which is itself based on a pair of Christopher Isherwood novels, Sally Bowles, which was published in 1937, and Goodbye to Berlin, which was published in 1939. Isherwood's experiences as a gay English writer living in Germany in the 1930s informed the content of his novels and all of the adaptations that followed. Isherwood was a big fan of Berlin's cabaret circuit, which put him in contact with Jean Ross, a 19-year-old flapper. Jean was an aspiring actress who sang in lesbian bars. When she became pregnant, Isherwood posed as her straight partner in order to secure an abortion. These events serve as the climax of the Sally Bowles novel. The rise of Germany's Nazi party was initially of no concern to Isherwood, who remained politically indifferent. But all of that changed in March of 1933 with the passage of the Enabling Act. The law effectively nullified Germany's system of checks and balances and gave the Nazis total control of the government. Two weeks after the Enabling Act passed, Isherwood fled Germany for England. Those he met at the cabarets either made their own escapes or perished in concentration camps. Regarding cabarets' development, in the wake of I Am a Camera's success on Broadway, two Tony nominations, both of which led to awards for actors Julie Harris and Marion Winters, producer David Black enlisted Sandy Wilson to write the score for a musical adaptation. Black was eager to cast Julie Andrews in the role of Sally Bowles, a pitch that was flatly rejected by her manager. Julie would never play such a nasty woman, is what I like to think he said. Wilson finished his score for I Am A Camera shortly after Black's option to adapt the play expired, and when Hal Prince picked up the baton, he proceeded to chuck all of those songs right out a window and into the street. Yeah! Don't feel too bad for Sandy Wilson, though. He would go on to write The Boyfriend a few years later, and it was a hit. I would very much like to hear those discarded songs. Are they available anywhere? Help! Lost media? Help! The director of the original production of, oh, Cabaret on Broadway was Harold Hal Prince. I just mentioned him, our old friend Hal. The musical director was Harold Hastings. Orchestrations by Don Walker. Choreographer Ronald Field. Scenic design Boris Aronson. Hello again, Boris. Lighting design Gene Rosenthal. Hello again, Gene. Sound design, N.A., no sound design. Costume design, our old friend Peppermint, Patty Zabrat, Patricia Zabrat, hello again. And the original Broadway cast was as follows. We begin with Bert Convy. Other Broadway credits for Bert include Fiddler on the Roof, Nine, for which he served as a replacement. And of course, he's very well known as a game show host. He, he hosted uh, Tattletales and Super Password. We've talked about Bert and his relationship to game shows in the past. We also have Jack Guilford. Hello again, Jack. Always a pleasure. 
We have Jill Hayworth, Lottie Lania, Joel Gray. Hello, Joel. Peg Murray, Edward Winter, Jer Admir, Barbara Alston, Ray Barron, Bruce Becker, Stephen Bukvor, Frank Bully, Roger Bryant, Kathy Dalton, Mary Ahara, Sol Frieder, Pat Gosling, Pat Gosling maybe, oh as always, I do apologize for mispronouncing any of these names, John Herbert, Howard Call, Tresha Kelly, Mara Londi, Miriam Lehman Hopped, Bert Michaels, Eugene Morgan, Jamie Milroy, Ed Nolfi, Rita O'Connor, Marianne Selbert, Robert Sharp, Bonnie Walker, and last but certainly not least, Lynn Wynn, Tony Nons. Okay, so Cabaret won the following Tony Awards, best winner, of course, but also best composer and lyricist, Fred Ebb and John Kander, best featured actor in a musical, Joel Gray, Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Peg Murray. Best Scenic Design, Boris Aronson. Best Costume Design, Patricia Zebrat. Best Choreography, Ronald Field. And Best Direction of a Musical, Harold Hal Prince. Additional nominations, Best Actor in a Musical, Jack Guilford. Best Actress in a Musical, Lottie Linya. And Best Featured Actor in a Musical, Edward Winter. So, that's 11 nominations in total, 8 awards when all was said and done. That's a pretty fucking fantastic ratio. Let's talk about the plot. In the waning hours of 1929, aspiring novelist Cliff Bradshaw arrives in Berlin, Germany with a serious case of writer's block. Cliff is an American, repressed, and generally naive. The perils and pleasures of Berlin are unfamiliar to him, but they will soon be revealed by its colorful citizenry. Ernst Ludwig, a charming smuggler involved with local politics. Fräulein Schneider, proprietor of the boarding house Cliff will call home. Herr Schultz, a tenant of Schneider's who owns a fruit shop. And most important of all, Miss Sally Bowles, a rascally coquette who sings down at the Kit Kat Club. Sally glides into Cliff's orbit at a New Year's party, and when she suddenly finds herself living on the street, the pair become roommates and lovers. Cliff is fairly shocked by this development, as he's never been attracted to women, and when Sally discovers she's pregnant, he urges her to keep the child. True, Sally has no idea who the father could be. She has a large stable of partners, after all. But Cliff is willing to play the part. The part of Papa! Note! References to Cliff's bisexuality have been included as part of this summary, but were not baked into the original Broadway production. That aspect of the character came to light with the advent of the 1993 London revival. Well, I say that, but the 1972 Bob Fosse film makes it quite clear that Cliff is bi. Uh, look, there have been a lot of changes to Cabaret over the years, and I can't keep track of them all. I do my best! In other news, Fräulein Schneider and Herr Schultz enter into a tender courtship that inspires Schultz to uh, propose marriage, is what he does. Schneider accepts, hooray, but when Ludwig learns Schultz is Jewish, he compels Schneider to call off the engagement. Ludwig is, as we come to find, a dyed-in-the-wool Nazi who smuggles for the Third Reich, a revelation that horrifies Cliff. After a band of Nazis vandalizes Schultz's fruit shop, Schneider terminates her relationship with Schultz and recedes into a state of immense regret. Cliff becomes determined to leave Berlin and live a peaceful life with Sally in America. Sally, fearing for her career and worried her child would only exist to keep her and Cliff together, undergoes an abortion without Cliff's knowledge. 
When the truth is revealed, Cliff leaves Berlin for Paris, and the people he came to know and love and hate are left behind to bear witness to the growing Nazi scourge. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> yes, I should say, there's also an ethereal, impish MC who works with Sally at the Kit Kat Club. Ever heard of this guy? MC. It stands for Master of Ceremonies. He sings stuff like, uh, what does he sing? He sings, uh, Vil- uh, Vil- what is that? How does it go? Willkommen Vil- 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 bienvenue, welcome. Yes. <laughs> You know, kind of a weirdo, this fella. A real odd duck. Quack, quack. For the purposes of this week's episode, well, let me just start here. Let me give you a summary of all of the research sources I sifted through for this episode. Seven cast albums, three performances from the Tony Awards, one motion picture, one pro shot, one novel, and one play. That's like, uh, that's like 11 things. Oh my gosh. Let's begin with the 1939 novel, Goodbye to Berlin by Christopher Isherwood. Christopher Isherwood, a fictional version of Christopher Isherwood, you understand he's he's writing about a fictional version of himself. In this passage, Christopher describes Sally Bowles. I want to quote the novel directly. Quote, she was dressed in black silk with a small cape over her shoulders and a little cap like a page boy stuck jauntily on one side of her head. Do you mind if I use your telephone, sweet? As she dialed the number, I noticed that her fingernails were painted emerald green, a color unfortunately chosen for it called attention to her hands, which were much stained by cigarette smoking and as dirty as a little girl's. She was dark enough to be Fritz's sister. Her face was long and thin, powdered dead white. She had very large brown eyes, which should have been darker to match her hair and the pencil she used for her eyebrows. She hung up the receiver and turned to us triumphantly. That's the man I slept with last night, she announced. He makes love marvelously. He's an absolute genius at business, and he's terribly rich. She came and sat down on the sofa beside Fritz, sinking back into the cushions with a sigh. Give me some coffee, will you, darling? I'm simply dying of thirst. Quote, In this next passage from the novel, Christopher visits the Lady Windermere bar to hear Sally sing. The Lady Windermere is the equivalent of the Kit Kat Club in the musical. Quote, I was curious to see how Sally would behave. I had imagined her for some reason rather nervous, but she wasn't in the least. She had a surprisingly deep, husky voice. She sang badly without any expression, her hands hanging down at her sides, yet her performance was in its own way effective because of her startling appearance and her air of not caring a curse what people thought of her. Her arms hanging carelessly limp and a take-it-or-leave-it grin on her face, she sang, Now I know why mother told me to be true. She meant me for someone exactly like you. There was quite a lot of applause. The pianist, a handsome young man with blonde, wavy hair, stood up and solemnly kissed Sally's hand. Then she sang two more songs, one in French and the other in German. These weren't so well received. Quote, In this next passage, Christopher continues to obsess over Sally's hands. She's 19 in the novel, by the way. Quote, Sally lit another cigarette. She smoked the whole time. I noticed how old her hands looked in the lamplight. 
They were nervous, veined, and very thin, the hands of a middle-aged woman. The green fingernails seemed not to belong to them at all, to have settled on them by chance, like hard, bright, ugly little beetles. Quote, tell us how you really feel, Christopher. <laughs> yeah, so in this next passage, Christopher continues to describe Sally as if she were a living gargoyle. Quote, Sally always interrupted to say that it was time to be going out or moving on to the next place or smoking a cigarette or having another glass of whiskey. She was drinking nearly as much whiskey as Clive himself. It never seemed to make her really drunk, but sometimes her eyes looked awful as though they had been boiled. Every day the layer of makeup on her face seemed to get thicker. Quote, tell us how you really feel, Christopher. <laughs> and then I, I want to quote one last uh, teeny tiny passage from the novel. In another chapter, Christopher describes the appearance of a child. <laughs> and if you think he's kind, well, prepare yourself. Quote, she was a lumpish child of 12 years old, pretty in a sugary way, but round-shouldered and too fat. Quote, tell us how you really feel, Christopher. <laughs> I then read the 1951 play I Am a Camera by John Van Druten. The play is snappy and vital for having premiered over 70 years ago, but it makes the mistake of recreating entire passages from the novel as monologues. In this example, Sally has just left the room after an argument with Christopher. Uh, just imagine an actor sitting by himself on stage saying the following to no one, quote, oh, the awful sexual flair women have for taking the stuffing out of men. It's no good telling myself that Sally had the vocabulary and mind of a 12-year-old schoolgirl. I mismanaged our interview right from the beginning. I should have been wonderful, convincing, fatherly, mature. I made the one fatal mistake. I let her see I was jealous, vulgarly jealous. I feel prickly all over with shame. Friends, indeed. Well, I certainly won't see her again after all this. Never, never, quote, doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, does it? Christopher is fascinating. Goodbye to Berlin makes a number of references to his enigmatic intimacies with other men, a motley band that includes a, a beefy, suicidal roommate who enjoys being nude, a gay couple who despise each other, and a wildly effeminate, inscrutable fellow named Bernard. If Christopher has sex with any of these men, we never hear about it in the novel. There is a lot of shoulder touching, though. In I Am a Camera, the play, we are told Christopher has a lot of sex, but with whom? We do not know, darling. Cliff, Christopher's cabaret counterpart, falls in love with Sally in the stage and movie musicals, or a form of love at least, but in the novel and play, Christopher and Sally appear to be in a toxic friendship. I, I, I know what you're thinking. A queer man and a straight woman in their early 20s in a toxic friendship? Never heard of such a thing. Sounds unrealistic to me. One of the characters who didn't survive the play-to-musical adaptation is Sally's mother, Mrs. Watson Courtnage. Let's call her Watson. Watson visits Sally in Berlin under the assumption that she and Christopher are engaged. And let me tell you, those scenes do not work. Suddenly, we're watching a proto-Neil Simon comedy, Boho versus the Burbs, with everyone snapping at each other like domesticated hyenas. No, thanks. 
I chose to forego the 1955 film adaptation of I Am a Camera, which finds Julie Harris of skyscraper fame reprising her Tony Award-winning performance as Sally Bowles. Well, I say I made a choice, but the movie very nearly doesn't exist in 2024. I Am a Camera, the movie is so mired in obscurity at this point that JustWatch.com doesn't even... <laughs> they don't even have a reference for it. They don't have a page for it, which is just plain spooky. They have references for everything. I then listened to the 1966 original Broadway cast album, which features Joel Grey as the MC, Jill Hayworth as Sally, and Bert Convy as Cliff. I then watched the 1967 Tony Awards performance of Willkommen. I like to imagine conservative dweebs stumbling upon and completely flipping their lids over Joel Grey's performance. Why is the devil on my TV? Call Father O'Brien! To think this aired on ABC without a single edit to the material, I can see how the, the costumes and choreography might have passed the network's smell test, but how did they manage to retain the each and every one a virgin joke? This is 1967. Someone was either progressive as hell or asleep at the wheel. Either way, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for those besuited homos who are running around. I'll tell you that much. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> We're part of the ensemble. <laughs> I've long held that the entrance of the Kit Kat Orchestra during this performance is more thrilling than any stage effect from the last half century. Better than any chandelier, flying witch, sinking ship, or helicopter. That platform pops out of the wings like a champagne cork, and watching those women plunk, toot, and crash their way through the rest of the number brings me nothing but joy. I then listened to the 1968 original London cast album, which features Barry Denon as the MC, Judy Dench herself as Sally, and Kevin Coulson as Cliff. The art for the 1968 album cover is spectacular. I would be interested in seeing a production of Cabaret that took all of its design cues from this one image. Give me cabaret by way of European circuses, a super technicolor bonanza that rejects the typically bleak motifs. And you might ask, isn't that what they were going for on Broadway in 66? And I would say, sure, but let's go even bolder, even brighter. This is not to say we should obscure the show's dark underbelly. I want the underbelly to remain intact, but we don't need to point at the underbelly as soon as the curtain goes up. Show me how the circus rots from the inside out, alright? I then rewatched the 1972 motion picture Cabaret, which was directed by Bob Fosse and written by J. Presson Allen. The film stars Joel Grey as the MC, Liza Minnelli as Sally, and Michael York as Brian. I have no idea why they changed Cliff's name to Brian. We've gone from Christopher in the novel and play to Cliff in the stage musical and Brian in the movie musical. Uh, what are we going to call this guy next? Ike? Oh, Ike, you really are the dearest darling. We might as well. My four-star letterboxed review of Cabaret is as follows, quote, a story about people who are so terrified of themselves and the people they love that they cannot comprehend, let alone confront the scorch that is rapidly swallowing them whole. The music numbers are haunting and hypnotic. Liza is radiant and devastating. Michael York in a baby blue sweater is the moment. P.S. Kill all Nazis. Quote, 
An addendum to that P.S. I wasn't kidding when I said kill all Nazis. I don't say that casually. I don't mean to be flip. Kill all Nazis is what I fucking say to you. And I love how I've used scourge twice now in this in this episode. Scourge. I like that word, I guess. After watching a rehearsal of Cabaret prior to its tryout in Boston, Jerome Robbins advised Halprince to remove all of the non-diegetic numbers. In other words, any number performed outside of the Kit Kat Club. Prince ignored the suggestion, and he was right to do so, I think, but then again, excising the non-diegetic numbers is exactly what this Bob Fosse film does, and the result is nothing short of marvelous. So, what does that tell us? It tells us we need both versions of Cabaret. Our stomachs are large enough for two versions on the same meal. Another pivotal decision made by Fosse's film is the removal of the characters Fräulein Schneider and Herr Schultz, who are replaced by Fritz Wendel and Natalia Landauer. Their story, which has roots in Isherwood's novel, operates in the same emotional territory as that of Schneider and Schultz, but it concludes on a happier note. In summary, Natalia is Jewish, and Fritz is a Jew masquerading as a Protestant. Fritz initially pursues Natalia for her money, but she rejects him, knowing her parents would never allow her to marry someone who isn't Jewish. Fritz reveals his secret to Natalia, not because he wants her money, but because he's truly come to love her, and they are wed with Sally and Brian, uh, uh, Cliff, Christopher, whatever, in attendance. Like I said, a happy final note, though Natalia's dog is killed by Nazis somewhere along the line in the film. Not good, not a fan of that moment. I then listened to the 1986 London Revival cast album, which features Wayne Sleep as the MC, Kelly Hunter as Sally and Peter Land as Cliff. Moving forward, barreling forward, I then listened to the 1993 studio cast album, which features Jonathan Price as the MC, Maria Friedman as Sally, Greg Edelman as Cliff, Judy Dench, hello again Judy, as Fraulein Schneider this time around, and Fred Ebb himself as Herr Schultz. This thing, this album, is two discs and 112 minutes long. By the time I got to the six and a half minute entract, I felt I was lost at sea with nothing to my name but a boogie board. Granted, I listened to way too many albums this week, but I'm pretty sure this would have induced burnout no matter what. Uh, no one's in the market for a six and a half minute entract. Pull the ripcord already. I'm afraid we won't be hearing a second of Jonathan Price's performance because he's sleepwalking through every track. Sure, the man has a decent Joker laugh, but if I may toot my own horn, my Joker laugh is better. You haven't lived until you've heard my Joker laugh, but this ain't about me. Oh, if I may pull a drum, Robbins, it's not about me. Price's German accent goes in and out like a spotty TV signal. His comedic timing is non-existent, and there isn't a drop of relish in his delivery. Where's the relish, Jonathan? Where's the vim and the verve? Every other actor put their back into this part, and you're refusing to work up a sweat. What's the matter? Can't rise to the occasion without your trusty latex Asian eyes? Jonathan Price and Christopher Lee aren't the only white actors who took yellow, who took yellow face gigs, by the way. I hate to break it to those who love him. I love him too, God knows, but Joel Grey played an elderly Korean man named Chun for the film Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. That movie 
was nominated for the Best Makeup Oscar in 1986. What is going on? Okay. I then watched the Channel 4 film Pro Shot of the 1993 London Revival. This was directed, the production was directed by Sam Mendes, a very, very famous filmmaker, Sam Mendes, and the production stars Alan Cumming as the MC, Jane Horrocks as Sally, and Adam Godley as Cliff. This is available in full via YouTube. My three-star letterboxed review is as follows, quote, Sarah Kestelman is the only one who manages to enliven this shrill yet emotionally inert take on the material. In her first scene as Fräulein Schneider, Kestelman delivers a rendition of So What that is funnier, darker, and more resonant than anything we encounter throughout the remainder of the evening. Adam Godley shouts to keep everyone awake, including himself. Jane Horrocks' take on Sally Bowles is a mean-spirited caricature of Audrey Hepburn in Breakfast at Tiffany's. And Alan Cumming is hardly more than quaint as the MC. I get it, the guy likes to rub his own dick. I've seen Shakespeare. This concept is not unfamiliar to me, okay? I would also like to dismiss the choreography, which abandons style and precision in pursuit of sloppy authenticity. Where's Bobby Fosse when you need him, I ask? Surprisingly, the production does manage to be greater than the sum of its parts, which I attribute to the uncrackable bones of Candor and Ebb's score. But time has not been kind to this revival, and I'm afraid its fangs have been thoroughly worn down. Alas! Quote, Could I tempt you with a batch of additional observations regarding this pro shot? Ones that won't be found in my letterboxed review? Alright, okay. Adam Godley is cute, but his outbursts are right out of a scene study class. Watching Sally sit in a gigantic chair for the entirety of mine hair is not my cup of tea. Cliff and Sally's relationship is rendered inexplicable by incurious book scenes and performances that read as if Godly and Horrocks were precocious tots putting on a melodrama for the family. Don't laugh, mummy, this is serious drama. In general, I'm not a fan of Jane Horrocks' portrait of Sally. <laughs> <laughs> you, I'm sure you got that from my review, which appears to take several notes from Isherwood's novels. Does anyone want to watch a version of Sally who sings, quote, badly without any expression, her hands hanging down at her sides, quote, you might think such a performance would have novelty value, but when the time comes round for Jane to sing the title number, you'll be reaching for earplugs along with the rest of us. I then listened to the 1998 Broadway Revival cast album. This is a transfer of the 1993 London Revival production. In this instance, Sam Mendes served as co-director alongside Rob Marshall. Yes, the man who brought the scuttlebutt to millions! Ah! This production stars Alan. Alan Cumming as the MC, hello again, Alan, Natasha Richardson as Sally, and John Benjamin Hickey as Cliff. The total, oh, the total number of performances for this Broadway revival, 2,377. The original production of Annie ran for the same number of performances, which means it and Cabaret share a slot on the list of longest-running Broadway productions. That would be the number 30 slot. Isn't it strange how on that list of longest-running Broadway titles, two versions of Cabaret share a tie slot with other shows? I agree. It is strange. I'm scared. Hey, check out these star-studded replacements. (laughs) 
Jennifer Jason Lee, Gina Gershon, Molly Ringwald, Brooke Shields, and Leah Thompson as Sally, Michael C. Hall, Raul Esparza, Neil Patrick Harris, Adam Pascal, and John Stamos as the MC, and Tom Bosley and Hal Linden as Herr Schultz. <laughs> Hey, where are the NFL running backs, I ask? Hello? No football players on this list. Also, how has Joel Gray never played Herr Schultz? That's weird. I did watch maybe 10 seconds of Michael C. Hall performing as the MC on the Today Show of all platforms. Let's just say he looked like Tombstone from the Spider-Man comics. It was, uh, it was a little much for me. Cabaret is not Rocky Horror. I don't think we need to go that far with the makeup. I then watched the 1998 Tony Awards performance of Vilkomen which is introduced by Rosie O'Donnell. And if I may, if I may quote the joke she provides as a lead-in to this performance, quote, every night 500 people spend a couple of hours steeped in decadence and depravity. No, not the White House press briefing, quote, and the audience goes fucking nuts. Oh, Rosie, you're killing us. That's the funniest fucking joke we've ever fucking heard in our lives. <laughs> We lose the joke, okay, during the performance uh, of Vilkeman, we lose the joke about the women of the Kit Kat Club being virgins, but we do gain the image of Alan Cumming fingering his own asshole through his pants, and that's a fair trade in my estimation. Alan also shouts, Hello! Exactly as he does in the 2010 film Burlesque. If you've never seen Burlesque, they basically hired Alan to play the MC again. It's bizarre and bad. Hello! And then coming out of this Tony Awards performance, Rosie says, Ladies and gentlemen, Cabaret, the show that requires no Viagra. And that doesn't really get much of a laugh. <laughs> because the joke... It's, the jokes are only made worse by Rosie's near-hostile delivery and cadaver-like expression. She seems mad. <laughs> uh, and wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. The cast also appeared during an episode of The Rosie O'Donnell Show, and Rosie pronounces the name of the song as Vilkom. She says, the cast of Cabaret presents Vilkom. Then, during the interview, she and Alan bond over their shared love of Reese's peanut butter cups. I'm telling you, even for daytime television, this is the soft balliest fucking bullshit I've ever fucking seen in my life. I then listened to the 2006 London Revival cast album, which stars James Dreyfus as the MC, Anna Maxwell Martin as Sally, and Michael Hayden as Cliff. Here's a boring story for you. I bought this album, a physical version of this album, during my senior class trip in college to London, and then I ripped the album to my laptop, I ditched the physical album, and then I lost the MP3s, oh no. So guess who bought another copy of the album for the sake of this episode? Me. Hold on to your physical media, huh? I then watched the 2014 Tony Awards performance of Vilkomen. Apparently there's no other song in this fucking show that we could do. <laughs> we just, if it's the Tony Awards and if it's Cabaret, we gotta do Vilkomen. 
an explanation is in order. So in 2014, the Sam Mendes revival was itself revived, with Mendes and Marshall returning as co-directors. This production starred Michelle Williams as Sally, and Bill Heck as Cliff, and Alan Cumming as the MC, of course. Emma Stone served as a replacement for Michelle Williams. My review of this performance? Yep, that's a shorter version of the 98 performance, all right. Alan was 33 in 1998 and 49 in 2014. Hey, I say let's do all of this again in 2030 when he's 65. <laughs> Why not? And then finally I listened to the 2021 London Revival cast album, which stars Eddie Redmayne as the MC, Jesse Buckley as Sally, and Omari Douglas as Cliff. Like the 98 revival, the 2021 London production will transfer to Broadway later this year, April 1st, 2024, to be precise. B.B. Newworth is going to play Fraulein Schneider. I am not, ah, uh, I am not a fan of Eddie Redmayne, it must be said. The man might very well be the most overrated actor of his generation, and my immediate reaction to his performance as the MC was as follows. Oh, oh, so there is such a thing as too much relish. We've got, well, we've got way too much stank, my boy. Let's dial it back a couple of fucking notches. My advice, Eddie, try less, you try hard. The final moments of several numbers on this album are drawn out in the name of dramatic punch, and if I may continue to offer advice, just finish the song, mates. If you haven't done your job by now, you're not going to seal the deal by elongating the last few bars. Wrap it the fuck up. How was it written to begin with? You know you know how the original version of this score was really, really popular? I don't know if we need to be fiddling with it that much just so you can have more stage time. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's time to talk about the score. We begin with Joel Gray's rendition of Willkommen from the 1966 original Broadway cast album. Joel, take it away. Willkommen, bienvenue, welcome. Fremde, étranger, stranger. Glücklich zu sehen, je suis enchanté. Happy to see you, bleibe recht to stay. Willkommen, bienvenue, welcome. Im cabaret, au cabaret. Cabaret. Meine Damen und Herren, Mesdames et Messieurs, Ladies and Gentlemen, Guten Abend, Bonsoir, Good Evening, Wie geht's? Kamasava, Do you feel good? Ich bin euer Confrancier, Je suis votre compère, I am your host, Und sage, Willkommen, Bienvenue, Welcome. Im Cabaret, au Cabaret, du Cabaret. Leave your troubles outside. So, life is disappointing. Forget it. In here, life is beautiful. The girls are beautiful. Even the orchestra is beautiful.
the cabaret girls, each and every one a virgin. You don't believe me? Well, do not take my word for it. Go ahead, ask her. <laughs> It is winter, but here it is so hot. Every night we have the battle to keep the girls from taking off all their clothing. So don't go away. Who knows? Tonight we may lose the battle. We are here to serve you. begin with a claim a few will dispute. Willkommen is one of the best opening numbers in the history of musical theater. As an introduction to the Kit Kat Club, it is nothing less than perfect, enchanting, exciting, and totally transportive, immersive. I'll say it again, the Kit Kat Club should be a fun and cozy spot at the top of the show. Fun and cozy, not Scary and disgusting, Tombstone should not be leading the band. The club is a jewel box populated by horny weirdos who are in the market for a good time. I want to have a good time. I don't need to see track marks on the Hello Dolly waiters. I do not need to see the resident ventriloquist jerking off his dummy, okay? <laughs> don't, don't walk away from ideas like that. Can I take a second to applaud the MC, the character? He is our host, as he explains, and a damn good one at that. The man speaks multiple languages, or at least enough of three languages to make his patrons feel at home, and I do feel at home. Give the guy some credit is all I'm saying. He ain't no slouch. Do you speak limited English, German, and French? Huh? 
Isn't it funny how I listened to seven cast albums and none of them, not one, featured a woman in the role of the MC? When are we going to smash through that glass ceiling? This is not to say a woman has never played the MC. I'm sure it's happened many times, but at the level of a Broadway or West End production, no, we haven't seen that. Hire a woman. Hire a gender non-conforming performer. Get with the program. Change that up. Uh, you should be changing that up. Don't mess with the score. <laughs> I've made mention of the virgin joke a couple of times now, but here it is spelled out. The MC says, Rosie, Lulu, Franchi, Texas, Fritzi, and Helga, each and every one a virgin. Oh, you don't believe me? Well, don't take my word for it. See for yourselves. Go ahead, try Helga, quote unquote. Now, as typically staged, the MC tickles Helga right in that moment, uh, which causes her to giggle. <laughs> On the 2006 London Revival album, Helga screams at the MC, ah, who shouts, get back, 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 get back down there. Somebody fetch her pills. This is not presented as a bit. Helga had issues in 2006. I was certainly intrigued by that moment, but in general, I don't think it's necessary to pad out Wilkoman uh, with extra gags or speeches. Now, Kander, Ebb, and Masteroff got it right the first time. The one-liners written for the 93 London and 98 Broadway revivals don't make Wilkoman better, they only make it longer. And the jokes written for the 2021 London revival are nothing to write home about either. Oh my god, if I may do an impression of Eddie Redmayne at least doing the MC, Frenchie is like a Croissant. She's hard and crusty on the outside, but warm and moist on the inside. Okay, sure. Are you all right, Eddie? Texas is from America, and I love a good yank. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Check, please. Where should we go next? Ah, uh, yes, of course. Here is Sarah Kesterman performing that amazing rendition of So What from the 1993 London Revival Pro Shot. Take it away, Sarah. You say 50 marks, I say 100 marks. A difference of 50 marks. Why should that stand in our way? As long as the room's to let, the 50 that I will get is 50 more than I had yesterday. Yeah? Yeah, when you're as old as I. <laughs> Is anyone as old as I? What difference does it make? An offer comes, you take. For the sun will rise and the moon will set and you learn how to settle for what you get. It will all go on if we're here or not. So who cares? So what? So who cares? So what? When I was a girl, my summers were spent by the sea. So what? And I had a maid doing all of the housework, not me. So what? Now I scrub up the floors and I wash down the walls and I empty the chamber pot. If it ended that way, then it ended that way and I shrug and was dumpy and fat. So what? 
through all of our years, he was so disappointed in that. So what? Now I have what he missed, and my figure is trim, but he lies in a churchyard plot. If it wasn't to be that he ever should see the uncaused in me, so what? For the sun will rise, and the moon will set, and you learn how to settle for what you get. It will all go on if we're here or not, so who cares? So what? Once I was rich, and now all my fortune is gone. So what? And love disappeared, and only the memory lives on. So what? If I live through all that, and I live through all that, 50 marks doesn't mean a lot. If I like that you're here, and I like that you're here, Happy New Year, my dear. So what? For the sun will rise. And the moon will set And you learn how to settle for what you'll get If it all go on If we're here or not So who cares? So what? So who cares? So what? It all goes on So who cares? Who cares? Who cares? So what? The following passage from Christopher Isherwood's Goodbye to Berlin likely served as the inspiration for this number. Here we find Fräulein Schroeder, that's her name in the novel, assessing her lot in life with little more than a sigh and a shrug. Quote, Twenty years ago, if anybody had told me to scrub my own floors, I'd have slapped his face for him. But you get used to it. You can get used to anything. Why, I remember the time when I'd sooner cut off my right hand than empty this chamber, and now, my goodness, it's no more to me than pouring a cup of tea. Quote, I find I have a lot of room in my heart for the musicals Fräulein Schneider. Not Schroeder, we're talking about Schneider. Here is a woman who has lost more than we can imagine, and will lose everything before this story comes to an end. Yet she is determined to take a lickin' and keep on tickin'. Whatever life dishes out, she can take it, or so she believes. And she does believe it. My advice, again with the advice, to those who play Schneider is to deliver so what with total conviction. This character has become quite good at maintaining her poker face. She's had this conversation with countless tenants. Show me how all of that practice has paid off because we need a clear picture of the facade if watching it fall apart in Act 2 is to have any meaning. Don't go dark just yet, is what I mean to say. As mentioned previously, a lot of changes have been made to Cabaret over the years, and while I can't keep track of all of them, I did take note of the ones that interested me. For example, most recordings of So What include the following verse. Quote, When I had a man, my figure was dumpy and fat. So what? Through all of our years, he was so disappointed in that. So what? Now I have what he missed, and my figure is trim, but he lies in a churchyard plot. If it wasn't to be that he ever would see the uncorseted me, so what? Quote, That's where we began when the show premiered in 1966, but when it moved to London in 1968, those lyrics were revised. Behold, quote, When I had a man, my figure was boyish and flat. So what? Through all of our years, he was so disappointed in that. So what? Now I have what he missed, and my bosom is full, but he lies in a churchyard plot. 
If it wasn't to be that he ever would see the abundance of me, so what? Quote, the only cast albums that include this edition of the verse are the 1968 and 2006 London recordings. Everybody else, everybody else chose to stick with the dumpy and fat version. My question is, what motivated the change in the first place? Some difference in culture between England and the US? A change of heart on the part of Candor and Ebb? I wanna know! I wanna know! Patty, Benny, could we hear Don't Tell Mama as performed by Judy Dench? on the 1968 original London album. Oh, wunderbar! Uh, could that be followed by Jesse Buckley's rendition of Mine Hair from the 2021 London revival? Wunderbar! Mama thinks I'm living in a convent, a secluded little convent in the southern part of France. Mama doesn't even have an inkling that I'm working in a nightclub in a pair of lacy pants. So, please, if you run into my mama, don't reveal my indiscretion. Give a working girl a chance Hush up, don't tell mama Shush up, don't tell mama Don't tell mama Whatever you do If you had a secret You bet I could keep it I would never tell on you I'm breaking every promise That I gave her won't you kindly do a girl a great uh, big uh, favor? And please, my sweet potato, keep this from the mater. Though my dance is not against the law. You can tell my papa that's all right, because he comes in here every night. But don't tell mama what you saw. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>
Sarah Deb wrote Mine Hair for the 1972 Bob Fosse film. They also wrote maybe this time for the film, but we're talking about Mine Hair right now. Before Mine Hair came along, Don't Tell Mama was your only option when it came to introducing old Sally, but now we have Don't Tell Mama and Mine Hair. Some productions choose one number over the other, while others present both. Me, I like the both option. Give me both! You're telling me Sally would only do one number? Mrs. Sally Bowles we're talking about. The Toast of Mayfair. She would expect and deserve an encore. Let's be real. I'll throw this out here. <laughs> I'll throw this out here and do with it what you will, I suppose. But bring on the men from Jekyll and Hyde. Wants to be mine hair so bad it's embarrassing. I say this as a fan of the song Bring on the Men, which is a much better number than good and evil. <laughs> that's not a, that's not a both please scenario for me. Good and evil stinks. But enough about Jekyll and Hyde. Ring, ring, it's time to hear the telephone song from the 1966 original Broadway cast album, Ring, Ring. Hello? Hello, sitting all alone like that, you happen to catch my eye. Would you like to buy a girl a drink? Sorry. Ah, goodbye. Hello. Sitting all alone like that, you happen to catch my eye. Would you like to give a girl a dance? Yeah, why not? Goodbye. I can certainly see how the telephone song fell out of favor with time. On its own, the music is hearty, but the lyrics are too functional, utterly lacking in humor and zest. On the other hand, watching how the table telephone system works on an average night at the club sounds like a hoot. Everybody's at tables, they all got telephones, they're calling each other's tables, it's fun. I'm sure the possibilities for physical gags are endless, and I would prefer to see Cliff and Sally at a party over hearing them talk about a party the next day. Oh, Sally, these parties are killing me. Like, show me one party, that's all I ask. But at the same time, it is important to keep the show moving apace. Uh, what can I say? I'm like Wednesday Adams in The Adams Family, the musical. I'm torn. Don't touch that dial because Natasha Richardson is about to perform Perfectly Marvelous from the 1998 Broadway revival. I think people are people. I really do, Cliff, don't you? I don't think people should have to explain anything. For example, if I should paint my fingernails green, oh, and it just so happens I do paint them green, well, if anyone should ask me why, I say, I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty, I reply. So if anyone should ask about you and me, you have two alternatives. You can either say, oh, yes, it's true, we're living in delicious sin, or you can simply tell the truth and say, I met this perfectly marvelous girl in this perfectly wonderful place as I lifted a glass to the start of a marvelous year. 
before I knew it, she called on the phone, inviting. Next moment, I was no longer alone, but sat reciting some perfectly beautiful verse in my charming American style. How I dazzled her senses was truly no less than a crime. Now I'm this perfectly marvelous girl in my perfectly beautiful room, and well. Sally, I'm afraid this wouldn't work out. You're much too distracting. Distracting? No, inspiring. She tells me perfectly marvelous tales of her thrillingly scandalous life, which I'll probably use as a chapter or two in my book. And since my stay in Berlin was to force creation, what luck to fall on a fabulous source of still me. And perfectly marvelous too Is her perfect agreement to be Just as still as a mouse While I'm giving my novel a wow Yes, I have a highly agreeable life In my perfectly beautiful room With my nearly invisible Perfectly marvelous girl Richardson's timing at the top of this track is fabulous. If I should paint my fingernails green, <laughs> it just so happens I do paint them green, well, if anyone should ask me why, I say, I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty, I reply. <laughs> Perfectly Marvelous is a first-rate charm song for Sally, far superior to Roommates, a song Candor and Ebb first wrote and eventually discarded. Oh my god, there were roommates. But I would like to see the following exchange from Roommates integrated into Marvelous. Can we play that clip? Oh, Cliff, isn't it perfectly marvelous that we met? I mean, have you ever come across two people more ideally suited to one another? Here we are, just the perfect companions, the perfect partners, the perfect roommates. Roommates? I mean, if I were allowed to stay. Think of it. You could write this fabulous letter back home to Wisconsin. Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, and brag about me. Dear mother, father, Uncle Jasper, and everyone else in Harristown. Harrisburg. Harrisburg. I've some wonderful news to tell. I've moved to Berlin and took someone in to live with me. And it's working incredibly well. I realize the integration I'm suggesting would be easier said than done, but I really enjoy the Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Harristown, Harrisburg joke. If you want to hear more of these Candor and Ebb demo tracks, tuck in with the original Broadway album from 66. The director's cap has been on my head for a while now. All of the advice I've been dispensing, I simply forgot to announce its arrival. The, the cap is here, but here's another idea from said cap. Could Sally unpack her bags throughout this number? Forget about that moment with the taxi man who arrives with the bags. Sally carries her own bags, and she unpacks them right here and now, transforming Cliff's room into her latest private getaway. She's like Mary Poppins, if Mary Poppins had awful taste. Those bags are bottomless. I'm talking about scarves, wigs, eggs, makeup, magazines, costume, jewelry, glamour shots of herself, a stuffed animal, uh, countless tchotchkes, and one supremely wrinkled dress. 
They all find a place in Cliff's carefully curated living space, and it drives them bananas. Don't sleep on this idea that Cap never has bad ideas. It couldn't please me more, a pineapple, as sung by Lottie Lenya and Jack Guilford of the original Broadway cast, is coming your way right now. If you bought me diamonds, if you bought me pearls, if you bought me roses like some other gents might bring to other girls, it couldn't please me more than the gift I see. A pineapple If in your emotion you began to sway, you went to get some air or grab a chair to keep from fainting dead away, it couldn't please me more than to see you cling to the pineapple. it pass Would you like a slice? That might be nice but frankly it would give me gas Then we shall leave it here Not to eat but see A pineapple Jack Guilford is the sweetest and most endearing actor to play the part of Herr Schultz, and no one else comes close. What a doll. Are you thinking about cutting the Hawaiian sting from this song? That, uh, that sting? God help you if you do that. A curse on your house is what I place should you decide to remove the Hawaiian sting. I sound like a cat. That joke about Herr Schultz suffering from gas is conspicuously missing from the 1968 London album. How am I to thank you? Kindly let it pass. Would you like a slice? That might be nice, but frankly, it would give me gas. That turns into, how am I to thank you? Never mind, my dear. Would you like a slice? That might be nice, but frankly, it would lay right here. I guess that's a reference to Schultz gaining weight? His tummy, I assume? I still don't understand the motivation behind some of these changes. Were the English particularly offended by the concept of gas in the late 60s? Another question, could we hear Tomorrow Belongs to Me from the original Broadway cast album? Oh, wonderful! The sun on the meadow is summery warm The stag in the forest runs free
leave it to neo-Nazis to co-opt Tomorrow Belongs to Me, a song written by Jewish men for a musical that rightly characterizes Nazis as the despicable pieces of shit they are. Say, that's a pretty song. We'll take that, thank you. You'll take a knife to the fucking throat is what you'll take. Fuck you, die. Focusing on the song itself, we need to bring back the barbershop quartet arrangement of Tomorrow Belongs to Me because it is the prettiest and therefore the most horrifying arrangement to date. I imagine the number could be staged one of two ways. In my mind, I have two ideas, is what I'm saying. Uh, the first one is very simple, with German men standing in profile before pivoting to reveal their Nazi armbands. And then the other one I have is more complex, a sequence that depicts Nazis waking up and moving through the first moments of their day, packing a lunch, pulling a cart, putting the laundry on a line, etc., Whatever you do, make sure your audience is incapable of avoiding a deep sense of dread. Pull the rug out from under them in some form or fashion. Pull the curtain back to show them what's really going on with these so-called average citizens. Next up, Bert Convy sings Why Should I Wake Up from the OBC cast album, the original Broadway cast album. Why should I wake up? This dream is going so well When you're enchanted Why break the spell Drifting in this euphoric state Morning can wait Let it come late Why should I wait why waste a drop of the wine? Don't I adore you? And aren't you mine? Maybe I'll someday be lonely again. But why should I wake up till then? It amuses me to no end how Cabaret chose to depict Cliff as a square-jawed, off-the-rack ingenue before subsequent generations turned him into the sissy he was always meant to be. No one will think Cliff is a homo if we cast Bert Convy, voted America's most masculine man, for five years running. La 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 la, I love Sally, I love women. Like the telephone song, Why Should I Wake Up has generally fallen out of favor. Nobody does it, and I could make a case for bringing it back, but only if Cliff were singing about Sally and all of the men he's sleeping with. La 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 la, I love Sally, I love Dick. La la la, if we can't turn the number into an orgy ballet, I'm out. All right, no more screwing around. Let's hear Liza Minnelli sing Maybe This Time from the Bob Fosse film, huh? Everybody loves a winner. So nobody loved me Lady peaceful Lady happy That's what I long to be 
Anyone who would prefer to hear Sally bark and bray through her numbers and not bask in the magnificence that is Miss Minnelli is a cop who should be carefully watched. I have nothing else to say. Sally wants love. Who could blame her? Love is precious. Patty, Benny, I have another request for you. Let's hear the money song, Sitting Pretty, as performed by Joel Gray on the OBC album, the original Broadway album. Then follow that with Money, as performed by Alan Cumming on the 1998 Broadway revival album. Alan has been waiting in the wings ever so patiently, and now it's his time to shine. My father needs money, my uncle needs money, my mother is thin as a reed. But me, I'm sitting pretty, I've got all the money I need. My dearest friend Fritzy is out of his wits, he has four starving children to feed. But me, I'm sitting pretty. I've got all the money I need. I know my little cousin Eric is his credit is hysterical, and also cousin Emma and upon his mother's Emma, and my sister and my brother took the hawking one another too. But I've got some talents which build up my balance, or even my bankers agree that me, I'm sitting pretty. I've got all the money I need. If you happen to be rich and you feel like a night's entertainment, you can pay for a gay escapade. If you happen to be rich and alone and you need a companion, you can ring ding-a-ling for the mate. If you happen to be rich and you find you are left by your lover, though you moan and you groan quite a lot, you can take it on the chin, call a cab, and begin to recover on your 14-carat yacht. Money makes the world go around, the world go around, the world go around. Money makes the world go around, of that we can be sure. I'm being poor. Money, 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 money. The 1987 Broadway revival of Cabaret chose to combine Sitting Pretty and Money into one big routine, and though we may never know what that sounded like, the 1987 revival was never recorded, the 1993 studio album offers its own take on that idea. Sadly, we will not be hearing that mashup because it involves Jonathan Price and he stinks. Trust me, you do not want to hear him. He cannot anchor a number for shit. We want to be hearing from Eddie Redmayne either. Did I already say that? But no, no Eddie audio. I will not apologize. If you choose to stage Sitting Pretty instead of Money, a mistake in my opinion, but everyone has the right to make mistakes, please do not include the bit where the Kit Kat girls appear as various forms of currency. Oh, that sucks. Do not force your audience to sit through Candor's Japanese theme while an actress farts and flops around as an anthropomorphic yen. We only have so much time on this planet, okay? Do me a favor. When the on-track begins in a few seconds, imagine it's being performed by Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem from the Muppets universe. It will make your day, believe me. To be clear, the following audio is from the original Broadway cast album. Yeah.
Come on, admit it. You're smiling from ear to ear. Ah, you admit it? He admit it. Okay, James Dreyfus, get out there and knock him dead. This is If You Could See Her, the Gorilla Song from the 2006 London Revival cast album. I know what you're thinking. You wonder why I chose her. Out of all the ladies in the room, it's just a first impression. What good's a first impression? If you knew her like I do, it would change your point of view. If you could see her through my eyes, you wouldn't wonder at all. If you could see her through my eyes, I guarantee you'd fall like I did when we're in public together. I hear society moan, but if they could see her through my eyes, maybe they'd leave us alone. I speak of her virtues I don't know where to begin She's clever, she's smart, she reads music She doesn't smoke or drink gin like I do Yet when we're walking together They sneer if I'm holding her hand But if they could see her through my eyes Maybe they'd all understand Mesdames et Messieurs, ladies and gentlemen, is it a crime to fall in love? Can we ever tell where the heart truly leads us? All we are asking is ein bisschen Verständnis, a little understanding. Why can't the world labor und labor lesson? Live und let live. I understand your objection. I grant you the problem's not small But if you could see her through my eyes She wouldn't look Jewish at all who are familiar with If You Could See Her would know the premise and gut-wrenching punchline of the MC's routine. After several minutes of dancing with a performer in a gorilla suit, our host begs the audience to accept his love for the creature. Quote, 
I understand your objection. I grant you the problem's not small, but if you could see her through my eyes, she wouldn't look Jewish at all. Quote, Here's what I never knew before this week. That wasn't always the final line of the song. In 1966, Joel Gray concludes, if you could see her, with these lines, quote, I understand your objection. I grant you the problem's not small. But if you could see her through my eyes, she isn't a miskite at all, quote, as we learn from Herr Schultz during one of his numbers, miskite is a Yiddish term that means ugly or funny-looking. Obviously, this is tamer and less impactful than the conclusion we have now, but it's practically incendiary compared to what we got at the 1987 Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Here, Joel Gray performs with the gorilla, and he sings, quote, Sometimes my problems are hairy when I'm with my sweet valentine, but if you could see her through my eyes, you'd trade all your problems for mine. Quote, Who signed off on that? Why did anyone think it would even be a good idea to perform this number at the Macy's Parade? The mind reels is what it does. It is my belief that no music should play after the MC utters his anti-Semitic punchline. Audiences shouldn't be given a chance to applaud in the wake of that bombshell, but they will if a final burst of music prompts them to do so. Instead, have the gorilla and the MC dance in silence. They hear their playoff music, but we don't, and that's an appropriately disconcerting image to go out on. Clean out your ears. Here's Lila Kadrova performing What Would You Do on the 1968 original London cast album. With time rushing by What would you do With the clock running down What would you do The young always have the cure Being brave, being sure And the free But imagine if you were me alone like me, and this is the only world I know. Some rooms to let this. What would you do? Would you pay the price? What would you do? Suppose simply keeping still means you manage until the end. What would you do, my brave young friend? Girl. 
Kadrova is heartbreaking and terrifying on this track. The way she slams her way through those climactic lines, quote, who isn't at war with anyone, not anyone, quote, it truly sounds as if she is being torn apart. The rage Fraulein Schneider harbors could move mountains, but she thinks of it as a weakness and a liability. What good can come from such a rage, she asks. How can she stand and fight, as Cliff advises, when doing so could mean watching Herr Schultz die? And that's what I believe is the motivation behind her terminating that engagement with Schultz. She knows that if they are together, the chances of her seeing Herr Schultz die in front of her, the, the chances are very high, and she can't, she can't put herself through that. No, it's better to push him away. With any luck, Herr Schultz will manage to do what she cannot, which is find a way out. What do I have next for you? Well, I have I Don't Care Much. This is the Candor and Ebb demo track from the original Broadway cast album. Okay, I don't have any commentary for it, but here, I just want to play it for you. Let's play it, Patty and Benny. Huh? I don't care much go or stay. I don't care very much either way. Hearts grow hard on a windy street. Lips grow cold with the rent to meet. So if you kiss me, if we touch, warning's fair. I don't care very much.
when your coat's too thin. Feet don't waltz when the roof caves in. So if you kiss me, if we touch, warning's fair. I don't care very much. Okay, great. I just, I really like that song. I, I think it's haunting and beautiful, and I just wanted you to hear it. And now you have? Okay, great. Let's hear Cabaret as performed by Liza Minnelli from the 1972 motion picture. Liza, we want to hear from you again. I used to have this girlfriend known as Elsie, with whom I shared four sordid rooms in Chelsea. She wasn't what you'd call a blushing flower. As a matter of fact, she rented by the hour. The day she died, the neighbors came to snicker. Well, that's what comes from too much pills and liquor. But when I saw her laid out like a queen, she was the happiest corpse I'd ever seen. I think of Elsie to this very day. I remember how she turned to me and say, What good is sitting all alone in your room? Come hear the music play. Life is a Come to the cabaret And as for me <laughs> And as for me I made my mind up Back in Chelsea When I go I'm going like Elsie Start by admitting from cradle to tomb It isn't that long a stay Life is a cabaret, old chum It's only a cabaret, old chum And I love a There are so many ways to interpret this stone-cold classic. Where is Sally coming from is the question. Is she choosing to escape into a fantasy? And if so, how is that going? Is she successfully escaping into the fantasy? Is reality infringing upon the fantasy? You have to figure out the ratio there, the balance. Has Cliff's departure left her feeling liberated or nervous and paranoid? Is the crowd at the club filled with familiar faces? Or, like in the film, those of Nazis in uniform? Whatever choices you make as an actor and director, make sure they are crystal clear and rooted in high emotion. The stakes have never been higher for Sally, and this is her moment for better or worse. 
Oh, I, I, I should say, I want to talk about uh, the musical theater tour troupe that I was a part of in college. I've talked about this before. There was a year, I think the year before I ever did that, I was on the improv troupe. So we would all travel together and perform for these uh, middle schools, elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, and the musical theater tour troupe that year was doing, <laughs> they were doing cabaret. And for some interesting reason, I, I know, I know the reason. It was because they wanted to censor the song for younger people, and they didn't want to do that whole line about the day she died, the neighbors came to snicker. Dun dun dun. Well, that's what comes from too much pills and a liquor. Dun dun dun. So, what do you think they changed it to? You'll never guess in a million years. And I, I believe the director of the group, he's the one that came up with this because I've seen no reference for it online at all. So, I think he just came up with this new line. Ah, the day she died, the neighbors came to snicker. Nah, nah, nah. Well, that's what comes. <laughs> I'm sorry, let me try again. Well, that's what comes from too much cake in the mixer. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Too much cake in the mixer. What the fuck are you talking about? To close us out, let's hear Peter Land from the 1986 London Revival cast album. I only want to hear a little bit of this finale. This is the finale, and I want to make fun of Peter. So that's why we're hearing this. Okay, Peter, go, go, go. There was a cabaret, and there was a city called Berlin in a country called Germany. It was the end of the world. And I was dancing with Sally Bowles, and we were both fast asleep. Welcome. Uh, Peter, what's going on, my man? Why are you reciting Cliff's final words as if he just got back from a carnival cruise? Oh, you should have been there. It was the end of the world, and it was simply fabulous. Like, no, incorrect. Peter Land is the only actor I encountered this week who chose to deliver that monologue in that way, and it cracks me up. <laughs> I wonder what old Sally's up to now. <laughs> I'm tugging at my collar. Yeesh. All right, that's all I have to say regarding the score of Cabaret. It is now time to hear from our fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. Why are you, my husband? Oh, I am in such a distress. Oh, may we, Lumiere, please? Oh, what is going on, my Fifi? Oh, my Babette, my Plumette, my Marie, what is going on, my feather duster? Oh, you are driving me mad. What do you need, my pet? Oh, I am out of five, six, seven, and two gold packets. Oh, merd, how could this be? I just got you a box just yesterday. I snuck out of the castle, out from under the beast's watch, and I got it from the market, and you've already consumed all of the five, six, seven, eight coffee? How could this be, Merd? I know my pet, oh, but I have had an insatiable craving for this, this five, six, seven, eight, two go back, it's, it's so delicious, the flavor, and as you know, I am burying your child. Oh, how could I forget? Yes, of 
course, my pet. I know you have your pregnancy cravings. You want it. You want it. You need it. You need the five, six, seven, eight to go, don't you? Yes, don't you? Yes, don't you? Yes, yes. I need more of it. I need more. Oh, but let me ask you this. How is it possible? How is it possible that you consume this five, six, seven, eight to go packets? I was not there when you had them. I have not seen you drink even one of these to go packets. Who is helping you? Who? I feel the jealousy raging inside me like a fire. Like a fire, like a fire is at the tips of my candles. How is this possible, Fifi? I, I tell you, it was not, oh, it was not a problem. I tell you right now, there was a pair of scissors. A living anthropomorphic pair of scissors. I believe his name was Jean-Claude, yes. And he snipped them. He snipped the packets open for me. Please, Lumia, do not get jealous. Oh, you know you're the only one who gets me going. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, Jean-Claude, the pair of scissors, huh? Where from now on you come to me, I'll burn the tips of the packets off for you, and then that way you shall have them open. And Jean-Claude, I will take care of Jean-Claude. No, don't kill him like you killed the others. I must kill him, but for now, <laughs> let us make love. <laughs> what do you think our children will look like? Oh, there'll be some horrific mutant combination of candelabra and the feral duster. It'll be fucking nuts. <laughs> Final thoughts regarding Cabaret. If there are any Nazis who listen to my show, I hope you die today. Okay, so in 1967, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical, as a reminder, was Cabaret, and the additional nominees that season were, I do, I do, The Apple Tree and Walking Happy. We only have one show left in this set of nominees, so Shrek, I can feel you breathing down my neck, and I can tell you right now, The Apple Tree will not dethrone Cabaret on my watch, no siree. Cabaret deserved to win, and it shall forever keep that medallion. Let's rank Cabaret against all of the other shows we've talked about here on the podcast. Now, if you want to check out this ranking of ours, go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod. There's a pinned post. Click through the pinned post. You'll go to our link tree from there. You'll go to our Google spreadsheet. The second tab of that spreadsheet contains the ranking info you want. Cabaret is in the top 10. We haven't had a show in the top 10 in I don't know how long. Cabaret, you're number eight between Chicago at number seven and Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street at number nine. Congratulations, Cabaret. Congratulations! Show-related ephemera. Okay, first up, we have Julie Andrews performing maybe this time during a 1972 episode of the Julie Andrews Hour. Take it away, Julie.
Oh, the sweet, sweet irony. She would never sing your sicko songs. Never. You were wrong, manager. You were fucking wrong. Up next, Joel Gray on The Muppet Show. Oh, The Muppets again? Okay, season one, episode three. That's what we're talking about. Original air date, October 16th, 1976. I wonder what he's singing. I wonder what it could be. Take it away, Joel. It is with great pride and pleasure that yours truly, Kermit the Frog, introduces the international star of stage and screen, Mr. Joel Gray. Thank you, Kermit. I can't tell you what a pleasure it is for me to be here appearing in the Muppet Cabaret. Never have I entertained in such a place before. So unusual, so bizarre. The most incredible nightclub by far. Feel calm and bien. Welcome. Fremdet. Etranger. Stranger. Glucklick to Zen. Je suis enchanté. Happy to see you. Liberest to stay. Feel calm and I am your host. I am your guest. Gotcha. Welcome in Welcome. Cabaret, or Cabaret to Cabaret. The final piece of ephemera I have for you is Liza Minnelli performing Cabaret on the 2008 Broadway cast album for her one-woman concert production, Liza's at the Palace. Oh, Liza, do I even have to tell you? Take it away, take it away, Liza. I used to have this girlfriend known as Elsie, with whom I shared four sordid rooms in Chelsea. She wasn't what you'd call a blushing flower. As a matter of fact, she rented by the hour. The day she died, the neighbors came to snicker. Well, that's what comes from too much pills and liquor. But when I saw her laid out like a queen, she was the happiest corpse I'd ever seen. I think of Elsie to this very day. I remember how she'd turn to me and say, Hey, hey, what good is sitting all alone in your room? Come, come on, come, come on, ducky. Hear the music play. Life is a cabaret, oh, 
Like LC. Hell yeah, Liza. Fuck yeah. I couldn't find any scenes from the cabaret subplot of Love, Simon, but I want to remind everyone that Simon was in his high school production of Cabaret. Even though he displays no theater kid tendencies, Simon likes theater? I don't think so. Simon is a, he's a music gay, not a musical theater gay. You know what I mean? There's a big difference. He's a concert gay. I also recall the set for Cabaret. <laughs> Their high school set is oddly elaborate and quite obviously expensive. What a weird, sweet little movie. I would like to watch that again. Wait a minute. He didn't talk about Shit's Creek. They did Cabaret in Shit's Creek. And to you, I say, eh, I watched the clips. I watched the clips. I don't really like that show that very much. <laughs> I don't like that show very much. To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, Chump Change. Everyone ready? Then away we go. All right, the next subject of the main feed is a 1988 nominee. We're going into the 80s. We're going back to the 80s. This show ran for 297 performances, and the name of the show is Romance Romance. That's Romance slash Romance. Romance Romance. That episode will drop February 21st. Hey, go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpot to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. You can donate one, three, five, or ten dollars a month. One dollar a month will get you Monday early access to all of these main feed episodes. Everyone will have to wait until, everyone else I should say, is going to have to wait until Wednesday, but you, if you donate just one dollar a month via Patreon, you'll get them on Monday. Oh, oh, how wonderful. You'll also get a verbal shout out each and every time we get together here on the main feed. Thank you for donating at least one dollar a month. Caroline, Helena, Greg, Andy, Elizabeth, Aaron, Jason, Jack, Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marcus, Rob, Shauna, Shianti, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. You'll also get 20 bonus episodes. Oh, what are they about? Well, we talk about the 73rd Annual Tony Awards Ceremony, the trailer for the film Cats, The Little Mermaid Live, a full review of the film Cats. That's one bonus episode. A review of Emma at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 
90th birthday celebration. Hamilton via Disney Plus, Documentary Now, Original Cast Album, Co-op, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, the trailer for Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, Vivo, the Tony Awards present Broadway's Back, Diana, Annie Live, The Notebook at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, Beauty and the Beast, a 30th celebration, and The King and I, the 1999 animated version of The King and I. Hey, hey, just so you know, as a reminder, there is another $1 a month bonus episode coming your way. It's going to drop February 28th. What are you going to be talking about, Jonathan? Well, I'm not going to tell you. I know, I do know, but I'm keeping it a mystery. I'm keeping it a secret until the episode drops on the 28th. As a $1 a month patron, you would also get, we're not done, you would also get, oh, season one, that's 12 episodes of Radio Boy, a series for which I check in with myself via the non-musical theater songs that make me feel more like myself, and all 16 episodes in M3, the movie musical man, a series for which we talk about trios of movie musicals that are tied by common themes. $3 a month will get you everything I've already described, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing, all 10 episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast, a special one-off all about Julie and the Phantoms, and all 14 episodes of TV VIP, a series dedicated to musical television shows. $5 a month will get you everything I've already described, plus you'll get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss on the podcast. You'll get seasons one and two, that's 24 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. You'll get all 14 episodes in our Broadway in Chicago review series and volumes one through six of Shout About It. These are collections, compendiums, if you will, of five, six, seven, eight coffee ads and musical shoutouts from the first 150 episodes. Our final tier is the $10 a month tier. With this, you get everything I've already described, plus exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed. Season 1, that's 12 episodes of The Snub Club, a series dedicated to Broadway musicals that were snubbed, they were not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. And finally, you get all 12 episodes of Turn It Off, a series dedicated to off-Broadway musicals. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, please take a moment to write a five-star review. You can stream the show via Spotify, Audible, Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com, and you can email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Thanks, as always, to Patty and Benny in the booth, Alex Green for our beautiful logo, and Zach Little for our fabulous intro and outro music. Ah! Oh, you know what that sound means? Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off Venusian, and good night. Because you know, I mean, I loved doing the show and everything, but I've had such a great time in the city and I've felt so welcomed, and it's just fab. It's just a great place because you really have to 
live here. You know what I mean? You can't, uh, you can't sort of, in London, you can sort of pretend you live in the country. Right. But here, you're really in it, and I love it. And I love the food. Yeah? Yeah. What's your favorite food? Um, um, New York Reese. pizza, hot dog on the cot? Actually, Reese's peanut butter cups. Oh, Alan! I yeah. enjoy that myself! Oh, fabulous. Do you remember the commercial? No, because I didn't. Years ago, when you were in Scotland, a wee lass. Yeah. Lad. <laughs> oh, hello. I was a wee lass, I think. I, there was a commercial, I was like eight. You got chocolate in my peanut butter. You got peanut butter in my chocolate. That was the whole start really? of the Reese's peanut butter cup. I love them. Do you have the bite size? No, yeah, I love those, but you don't get those in Britain. No. That's why I'm so kind of uh, excited about it. Reese's yeah. pieces as well, I like. Oh, you like the Reese's pieces too? I prefer the ones in the little cups. Bill Gaum is Tony-nominated actor Alan Cumming and the cast of Cabaret.